The scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. It can be found on page 839 of the Black Bibles. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Prior to the uh, start of the season of Advent, we'd been going through this series through the Gospel of Mark. And so today we're starting off right where we left off. Uh, Mark introduced us at the very beginning of his Gospel to his main character, Jesus, who appears in chapter 1 proclaiming and demonstrating what he called the good news of the kingdom which meant that in Jesus and through his ministry in this world, uh, the kingdom of God had arrived. It was here. The expectations, the dreams, and the hopes of millions of people uh, who had eagerly awaited for God to finally establish his rule, his reign, his presence on earth, who had eagerly awaited for God to begin to undo the curses uh, from Genesis 3 was beginning to take shape in and through Jesus. And so he begins to give people glimpses of his kingdom, both through his teachings and through his healings, what we might call miracles or supernatural events. Jesus does both uh, because through both he is proclaiming and demonstrating the arrival of the kingdom of God. In other words, he doesn't just say the kingdom has arrived and doesn't do anything to show it, but he also doesn't just heal and do miracles without explaining the reason for them in the first place. He does this over and over again as we've seen so far. He'll teach about the nature of the kingdom and then he'll demonstrate the nature of the kingdom. But now we're sort of at a crossroads in the um, next few chapters in the Gospel of Mark because after explaining his mission and his purpose for being in this world, the question now is how will his followers respond? Will they receive the good news of the kingdom and what will they then do with these good news? And so that's what we'll look at today. First, showing the kingdom Uh, Second, hiding the kingdom. And third, connecting the kingdom. Showing, hiding, and connecting the kingdom. So first, showing the kingdom. Uh, The text today comes uh, right after Jesus teaching uh, what we call a parable. Which is a simple story using 
ordinary, everyday language to explain a deeper spiritual truth. And the parable that he just taught on uh, is a very well-known parable. It's the parable of the sower. Uh, Clay preached on that a few weeks ago. You can find it online. But after that teaching, if you remember it, the disciples, the followers, are left somewhat confused. So Jesus had to explain the meaning behind the parable. And after they understand it, after they get that light bulb that goes on, they begin to question and ask within themselves, well, why didn't you just teach that in the first place? Why go around with these picture stories, these parables, making things complicated and complex? Why, why not just teach the spiritual lesson by itself? See, the disciples are left wondering why Jesus seems to be deliberately hiding the truth of his message through parables. Regarding the parable of the sower, maybe they thought, hey, you know, if the message of the kingdom, which if you remember in the parable is the seed in the parable, so if this message is going to fall on hard hearts, then why should we sow it liberally? Shouldn't we just focus on those who might be eager and ready to listen? Maybe those who seem open and, and receptive to the message? Why spend time with people who might not want or care about uh, this message? Or maybe it's too complicated to think about seeds landing on, on rocks and, and beside the road and on thorns. And so Jesus answers their question in verses 21 to 22. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now in ancient Israel, of course, obviously before modern electricity, uh, a lamp was a lighted wick in a clay bowl that was full of oil. The lamp was not lit and then put under a bowl or under a bed, under a closed place where its light cannot be seen. Instead, the lamp was lit and put on a stand in order to illuminate the room. It's why lights today are in the ceiling and not in the floor, right? The higher the lamp or the light is, the broader its illumination. Jesus is answering their question by saying, no, I'm not deliberately trying to hide the truth from people. That would be like lighting a lamp and then putting it under a bowl. Why then light the lamp at all? If I'm hiding the truth, then there's no reason for me to teach. See, the parables were meant to reveal the message of the kingdom, not conceal it. Now, what is the lamp that Jesus is referring to in this passage. What's the message of the kingdom? Uh, if you keep reading the next two sections, verses 26 to 34, that much is made clear. In other words, the message of the kingdom, the message that Jesus is Lord and has inaugurated his rule and his reign over all creation is not a private message. It's not just a religious or spiritual message. It cannot be contained within these four walls. It does not belong solely in the realm of values, opinions, and beliefs. It does not even belong to a single day of the week 
We don't sign on to it on Sunday only to disregard it Monday through Saturday. The proclamation of the kingdom of God, his rule and presence, is like bringing an oil lamp into a room. What Jesus told the disciples, they are now called to go tell others publicly. Jesus is telling the disciples that they must participate in revealing the message of the kingdom to this world, following in his footsteps of proclamation and demonstration, both in word such as preaching and evangelism, and indeed, such as feeding the hungry and helping the homeless. They are to reveal the kingdom. They cannot and must not hide the message. And so what about us? Do our lives show other people how to find God and how to live for him? How vocal and active is our witness? Do we identify publicly as followers of Jesus? If not, then the image that Jesus gives us is like being a brand new light bulb that never leaves a carton it came in. And if a lamp doesn't help people see, it isn't worth much, is it? Maybe it's time to bring it out of hiding. Ask yourself, what baskets are hiding my life? What are the beds that I'm placing my lamp under? Is it complacency? I've just gotten used to the rhythms of the Christian life. Is it embarrassment? Maybe I just don't want others to find this out. Maybe it's simply ignorance, not knowing what it looks like or what it means. The gospel is a public truth. And as such, the message of the kingdom must be shown like a lamp on its stand. Number two, hiding the kingdom. Jesus continues his message in verses 24 to 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use... It will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one he ha- who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If the gospel is public truth, then the message of the kingdom must be shown. It cannot be hidden, it cannot be kept privately. And Jesus goes on to say what happens if we do And if we don't, the measure you use will be measured to you and still more will be added. Measure refers to the attitude with which a person receives the message of the kingdom. In other words, if those who listen to the message of Jesus and they receive it and they embrace it and they accept it and believe it, then more will be added to them. That is, God will take up residence in that heart and give them increased understanding and blessing. But those who listen casually, for whatever reason, will miss the point. See, Jesus is telling the disciples that they would be responsible for using their God-given understanding, their skills, their insight, and their opportunities to 
to let the light of the gospel shine in and through their lives. Now, whether they had little or much was not nearly as important with what they were doing with what they had. Think of a muscle, right? A muscle, when exercised, will grow stronger, correct? But an unused muscle will grow weaker. If a muscle is not being exercised, it will not grow stronger, so it's growing weaker. It cannot stay the same. See, like the unused muscle, those who do not listen to what Jesus is saying, nor understand, Jesus says, those who have nothing will lose whatever they had. It's what James says in his letter, isn't it? Don't just listen to the word, do what it says, and as you continue in it, you will be blessed in what you do. Now, lest we think otherwise, showing the light of the kingdom was no easy task for the early Christians. The Greco-Roman view was essentially that the world was divided into two competing domains. There was what they called the sacred and the secular, the spiritual and the material. And the assumption was that the spiritual was, of course, the higher realm, while the secular lacked deep meaning. Some might call this dualism, which led to multiple divisions and thinking, including the division between clergy, who were considered spiritual, and laity, who were considered secular. Between the church, which is considered spiritual, and the world, which is considered secular. Between the so-called religious practices, like Bible study and prayer and worship, and the so-called secular practices, like work and art and eating. Now, our Western culture for the past 300 years or so has led us to believe that there are public truths and then there are private truths. Things like science and technology, economics and education belong in the realm of public truth. We can talk about them in public forums, we can discuss them at work around the water cooler. On the other hand, things like values and morality and religion belong in the realm of private truth. They belong in the private realm of your home, of your church, and of your family. Do you see the parallel between Greco-Roman thought and Western modernity? If you grew up in the West, you have been shaped and formed by both Greco-Roman thought as well as Western modernity to believe that religion belongs in the private, sacred, spiritual realm. Because of that, and here's the point, it is so easy, in fact, it happens at a subconscious level, to hide our lamps in our culture. This so-called sacred-secular divide keeps us shielded from the world that God loves, from the world that God created. It makes us timid about being open about our Christianity. And because of fear of the so-called secular, we fail to fully engage certain parts of the created world. But if the gospel is a lamp meant to shine and light everything and everywhere it goes, if it is a public truth, 
then we are required to submit every single area of our lives to Jesus as king who is sovereign over all. Because the gospel is public truth, it leaves no stone unturned. It affects both what we call our public and our private lives. There is no small, private, religious, sacred realm over which Jesus is Lord and Savior and everything else is a so-called secular over which Jesus has no say. The gospel as public truth means that the sacred secular divide is a myth. It's why the psalmist could write, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Or as author and poet Wendell Berry writes, there are no unsacred places, there are only sacred places and desecrated places. If Barry is correct, then part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to re-sacralize the desecrated places. So what about us? Who are the people, places, and things we've believed are part of this sacred spiritual realm and which others are part of this secular material realm? realm is there a deal you've been working on or a seminar you've been leading as if it belongs purely in the secular do you lead a company manage people or teach a class as if Jesus was not Lord over that too which area of your life needs to be touched by the light of the gospel Number three, connecting the kingdom. Is it possible to live an integrated life in a culture like ours with its sacred secular divide? Is it possible to shine the lamp of the gospel when for so long we've been taught that it belongs under the basket of religious newspaper or editorials and under the bed of private prayer closets. Well, God's purpose for his creation has always been integration. The integration of the so-called spiritual and material. The union of what the Bible calls heaven and earth. When God first created the Garden of Eden, heaven and earth existed within the same realm. Mankind dwelt with God in the garden. And the garden itself was a form of paradise. It was always God's intention that heaven and earth would continue to coexist like this. However... The fall of man made that impossible. When mankind chose sin over God, the earth became this ruined and imperfect place. God's realm, of course, being perfect and pure and holy, was no longer able to coexist within our realm. And heaven and earth were driven apart. But thankfully, God had a plan to bring them back together. You get glimpses of this connection all throughout the Old Testament. One of the most important ones was in the tabernacle. 
in and through the tabernacle, God's people had access to the direct presence of God. However, it was not open to all people, but only a select group of priests. And then we see further integration in the temple. There, animal sacrifices were used to atone in part for the sin of mankind. In other words, how could something so pure, so clean, and so holy like heaven interact with something so dirty, so sinful, and unjust like earth? Well, when an animal died in the people's place by absorbing their sin, it created a sort of clean zone where heaven and earth could meet. And God could dwell once again with his people. However, tabernacles, temples, and animal sacrifices were only a temporary solution for reuniting God's realm with ours. God's permanent solution was his son, Jesus. Ultimately, it is Jesus who completes this connection. When Jesus, Lord over the universe and King over all creation, takes on human bodily flesh, he is affirming the goodness of the created order and his love for it. In the Gospel of John, we get this incredible, amazing, unique claim that God became a human in the person of Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this dwelling, curiously enough, in the Greek, refers to someone setting up a tabernacle. In other words, Jesus is the meeting place of heaven and earth. He is God's temple presence on earth. Everywhere on earth that Christ visited, he brought little pieces of heaven with him. He fed the hungry in order to show that in heaven there is abundance. He healed the sick in order to show that in heaven there is wholeness. He brought people back from the dead to show that in heaven there is only life. Jesus doesn't just stay in the safe zone of the sacred, the spiritual, the religious, the heavenly. He enters the mess of this world in order to shine the light of the kingdom. But the greatest glimpse into the connection between heaven and earth is seen as Jesus hangs on the cross. See, the greatest threat to the integration of the so-called sacred and spiritual was our sin and rebellion. As Jesus died in our place, he opened the door once and for all for the presence of God himself. His death created a permanent access point between heaven and earth. The kingdom of God is once again connected thanks to the death of Jesus Christ. The ultimate sacrifice that offers us the forgiveness we must have in order to interact with God and the heavenly realm. Do you see then that through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus is affirming the reality that the gospel is public truth? If there was ever a sacred secular divide, that veil has been torn through his death. Why are we often afraid of shining our lamp in our culture, afraid of cutting through the sacred secular divide? 
Could it be because we've forgotten that Jesus has done away with that dichotomy? Could it be because we've forgotten that it was only because Jesus was willing to shine the light of his kingdom in a public way that we now have total and complete access to God as Father in a private and intimate way? See, the kingdom of God has been connected once and for all, and that is great news. But what does that mean for us? Number four, revealing the kingdom. It means two things. First, the light of the kingdom has been revealed to you. And second, you are now called to reveal the light of the kingdom to others. So first, the light of the kingdom has been revealed to you. When the early movement of Jesus' followers begins in the book of Acts, we learn that God's presence exists in followers of Jesus. We're not just humans. We're like little mobile units of God's presence. How did this happen? Well, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The presence of God is now for all people, not just open to a select few. Remember, Jesus called 12 disciples to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and the presence of God rested on each one of them. Every person in the room on Pentecost experienced God's presence personally, not just the priests from the tribe of Levi. What once only Moses could experience then later only the priests could experience, is now available for all of us to experience. It's why Paul could write this to the Ephesians. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him... You are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Lord finally dwells not just with his people, but in his people. And has made them a kingdom of priests. Second, however, because God dwells in you. He wants to dwell through you. You are now called to reveal the light of the kingdom. Because Jesus begun or began the work of integrating heaven and earth as sent ones, we are invited to join him on his mission of integration. Paul says, we are ambassadors of reconciliation bringing healing and restoration wherever we go. So ask yourself, where has the Lord sent me to live, work, and play? And to whom has the Lord sent me to in those places? The challenge for you this week and this year will require a shift in paradigms 
and in practices. Where in your neighborhood, in your work, or in the places you hang out, do you see a lack of integration? Is there a relationship that needs healing and restoration? We have an amazing opportunity to think creatively about that this year, to encourage and inspire one another in this endeavor, and to be the lamp we've been given to shine in each of the places we have been sent. Our calling, if we are to follow in Jesus' footsteps as his disciples, is to reveal his kingdom to the places we have been sent. And that would certainly include our hearts, our marriages, our parenting, and our families, but it also includes the public spaces we encounter, like our work, our classroom, our PTO, our job fairs, our boardrooms, conference rooms, operating rooms, and our labs. You don't have to do it alone or brainstorm ideas by yourself. Let's talk and let the lamp of the message of the kingdom shine bright this year. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the opportunity for the gift that it is to be called your people. Your light shined in our hearts in a transformative way. Because of Jesus, we are now able to encounter you in a very real spiritual way this morning even and this year. We have access to you mediated through the blood of Christ. And now we pray, would you give us the boldness, the courage, and the creativity. For those of us who have maybe let our lamps uh, dim, or maybe we've hidden them for so long, would you allow us to take them back out, that we might shine the light of the message of the kingdom this year brightly. Give us the inspiration, the encouragement, and give us the reminder that you are with us, that you are at work in our lives, in our marriages, and in our families, and that you are work at work outside the walls of this church You go before us, your spirit goes before us, help us to follow you wherever you go. We pray this through Christ our Lord, amen.